0: Amen, you can be seated. Well, earlier this week, I uh, went to my barber shop and got a haircut and got cleaned up, faded up, whatever term you want to use. And uh, this is a great uh, stage of my life because I have a barbershop. I know, I dream big, right? Uh, I've always wanted like my barbershop. Like I walk in, have my guy, and he asks, hey, Tim, you want the usual? And I just say, yes, sit in the chair, and he just does his thing. And I have that now, and I went there This week, well, this week, I go in to get my hair cut, get the usual, get my guy, and on the TV, they have on one of the Rocky movies. Now, if you've never seen any of the Rocky movies, repent now. Go home and watch it uh, this afternoon. Uh, I I got issues. You'll realize that for me as a pastor in lots of ways. But but one of my issues, I'm a huge Rocky fan. I grew up on it. Babysitters just play Rocky movies when they were watching us. My parents let us watch the Rocky movies. I named my dogs growing up Rocky and Adrian. All right. I got some issues, right? But you should go watch the movies. They're, They're amazing. And. Uh, what the conversation in the barbershop as is in a barbershop, always, right there 's chatter. The conversation this day is what 's the best Rocky movie? Well, clearly, the, the consensus as it should be, is Rocky Four. Come on, somebody. Amen. Rocky Four. Amen. yeah, well Rocky fights Ovin, Ivan Drago, the Russian, he goes to Russia, and there 's snow and, and he 's sweating inside a cabin somehow it 's freezing outside. i don 't know how Rocky does it, right? but he's training and he fights the Russian Ivan Drago. Now, what makes this interesting is my barber, my guy, who gives me the usual, is Russian, yeah. But he's a nice guy, and I'm kind of wondering, like, how's he gonna take all this? And he's a nice guy, and he actually quoted Ivan Drago in his thick Russian accent and said, I must break you. (laughs) And let me just tell you, that was worth the price of the haircut by itself, right? But that's the chatter, but that's not the movie that's on TV in the barbershop. The movie that's on TV right at that moment is Rocky Three. Now, Rocky Three, Rocky fights Mr. T. And we all know who Mr. T is. Rocky, he wasn't Mr. T in the movie, so he didn't really know Mr. T. He thought Mr. T was just another fighter, and he didn't really take him seriously. You see, Rocky, he used to train on this corner gym, and he used to sweat it out like crazy and, and grind away. But he's won a few times, so he's gotten relaxed and he's gotten popular, and he doesn't really know what he's fighting against in Mr. T, so he's like training in a gym with a lot of people watching, there's a band playing, he has an audience, girls are coming up and kissing him on the cheek, and he's just kinda casual about it, so what happens? He goes to fight Mr. T and he loses, Why, because he didn't know what he was up against. Now, it's Rocky, right, so he goes and trains with Apollo on the beach, does his whole thing, comes back and defeats Mr. T, amen, come on. That happens, but at first, Rocky loses, and why does he lose? He doesn't know what he's up against, and he takes it lightly. Now, now I want to tell you that other than to just go watch Rocky this afternoon. It's because our sermon title today is Faith and Temptation, and here's the reality. Many of you are in a fight, and you don't even know it. You're in a fight every day of your life. And you don't know what you're up against. And you're like Rocky and Rocky III. You're just kind of casually going about your day, going about your relationships, going about your finances, going about your emotions. And the band's playing in the background. And you're just casually going through it all. And you have no idea you're in a fight for your life. And you don't know what you're up against. And you don't know how to fight it. And Scripture's going to tell us there is that fight, and it's called temptation. And every single one of us faces it. James is going to say, like he said with trials earlier, when you face temptation, not if. Right? Every person in here faces temptation. It's a matter, do you know what you're up against? Do you know how to fight it? So we're looking at James 1, 12 through 18, and we're going to talk about, hey, what is temptation? Like, what are we really up against? And how do we fight it? And how do we not get Knocked out. So that's where we're headed. Get a Bible open. If you don't already, if you didn't already when Lori read, the power is in God's word today. The power to fight temptation is not in my words that you're you're gonna hear. It's in God's word. So get a Bible out, James 1, 12 through 18. That's where we are. If you've missed our first two sermons in the series, we are in the book of James, Faith That Works. And James wasn't always a worshiper of Jesus as God. He was once just a brother of Jesus. If you missed those sermons, go back and listen to it. But that's who we're hearing from about temptation. And the first thing I want you to see about this fight, this temptation, is the context of it. James references it. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, we see that phrase, that we are under trial. Again, won't we hash this all the way, but first week we talked about this, right? It's when you face trials, not if. That's the context of the Christian life. That's the context of all life, is there are trials that we face. The uniqueness for the Christian of trials is that when we face them, they produce something if we rely upon Jesus, right? What did James say earlier? You go through trials... You lean on Christ, they produce steadfastness, endurance. That, if you let it take its its work and take its time in your life, that produces maturity. That the way you grow in the Christian life is through trial and through leaning on Christ in the midst of trial. And so James, I think, brings that back up because we are uniquely tempted when we are under trial. Right? He hasn't been talking about trials. He was talking about wisdom, but he talked about trials earlier. He brings it back up because we are uniquely tempted when we are under trial. And you know this to be true, right? You just look around life and, and look, how, does, how do people usually fall? Like morally, how do they fall sexually? How do they fall financially? How do they fall emotionally? It's when, well, hey, work was really hard and I was working 60, 70 hours a week and it just kind of got to me, and, and then that, that girl, I mean, she was right there, and I fell into adultery. I mean, uh, you know, finances were really hard, trial. Uh, finances were really hard, and, and the bills were getting heavy, and just managing it all was getting super difficult, and then, I mean, that shady business deal was right there, and I knew, like, I knew it wasn't right, but I did it anyway because I was under a trial. I mean, I was experiencing a lot of stress at work and in my marriage and nobody really understands me and I don't have any friends I can share with right now and I'm experiencing all these trials and I never talked about it, I never confessed it, and that boiled up into anger and I blew up at my kids. That's how it happens, right? We are uniquely tempted when we are under trial. And so James brings back up trials here to remind us, hey, that's the context of the fight. Trials can often make us susceptible to temptation. And we need to realize that. What are you fighting against? What's the context of the fight? There's trials, and then there's temptations. And so, James is going to call us to remember the context, but he's also going to call us, look at verse 13, to remember what we're up against. And the first thing he's going to make clear is it's not God. Look at verse 13. James says, "'Let no one say when he is tempted, "'I am being tempted by God.'" For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. We see something similar. 1 John 1.5 says this, God is light, and in him there is no darkness. James wants to make it clear what you're up against in regard to temptation, and it's not God. And some of you may think, well, Tim, I would never think that. Like, why does James include this? Like, of course God doesn't tempt us. Of course God is light, 1 John 1, 5. In him there is no darkness. But the reality is James knows that some of us like to deflect when it comes to temptation. And the reality is we can't really fight temptation until we learn temptation's not coming from out there. The problem's not primarily out there. It's in here. James is going to tell us why are we tempted? does the temptation come from? by our own desire, right? It's not God, but many of us will deflect upon God, we'll deflect upon our circumstance. Hey, it was just work, hey, it was just, hey, my, my spouse, it, she doesn't trust me, he, he doesn't uh, appreciate me, hey, finances are, we'll, we'll deflect, we'll defect, deflect, deflect, and deflect, and then we can't deal with the actual source of our temptation. And so James is gonna say, hey, sometimes we deflect on God. And we say, well, God, you, you gave me this sexual desire. I mean, am I, am I not supposed to enact that? Have you ever said that? Have you ever felt that? Hey, hey, God, I mean, you, you put money on the earth. Am I not supposed to go hard and get mine and work, overwork myself to the neglect of my family? God, I mean, you set it up this way. Like, I kind of have to climb the ladder. And the reality is, James is saying that because we deflect that way, but also since the beginning of time, people have deflected that way. You think of the first sin, Adam and Eve. They eat of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what does Adam say to God? It's the woman that you gave me. And listen, we usually focus on like he just blames the woman. Like men, come on. They just blame the women. And we usually focus on that. But notice what Adam says specifically. He says, it's the woman that you gave me. He blames the woman, but he also blames God. God, you... You gave us the tree, like you set it up this way. It's your fault. And from the beginning of time, man has been deflecting off himself. Eve, blame the serpent. We, We deflect today. We deflect. Maybe you deflect on God, your circumstances, your upbringing, your work stress, your finances. You need to know you can never fight temptation until you start looking within, not without and James makes that clear from the get-go. So our first point, I'm gonna give you three points. It's gonna be a little bit different today. Three points with three questions to help you fight temptation. Here's our first point in question. It's desire, and the question is, where am I weak? Get that from verse 14. Verse 14, James says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The reality is every person in here has a unique way, his own, her own desire that we are tempted. And your way may not be my way. Like for you, it may be anger. Like, you are just susceptible to anger, and maybe it is because of work, maybe it is because your dad never approved of you, and so you feel like you got to go get yours, and you feel like you got to fight for everything you have, and when people get in the way of that, that's exactly what's happening. They're just getting in the way of you and your success, and you got to push them out of the way. And if that's driving on I-17, or if that's at home with your kids, or your spouse, Anger, it is for you. Like it's custom fit for you by his own desire. And for some of you, it's anger. But for some of you, that's that's not me, Tim. For some of you, it's lust. And you just think, hey, I I have a relationship. I have a spouse. But maybe, and and James is going to get to this, maybe God didn't know what he was doing and giving me this spouse because it's hard. Right? And we fight a lot. And maybe there's somebody else out there. And you're always tempted to think, hey, the grass is not greener where I water it in my own marriage. You're always tempted to think the grass is greener on the other side, and the other cube at work, and the other equipment at the gym, and the other girl online that's airbrushed. And you have your own desire is lust, and it's custom made for you, and it's within you, and Satan will use that against you. And you need to know what that is, and you need to ask the question, where am I weak? We know where everybody else is weak, but we often don't want to admit, we may know it, but we don't want to admit where we're weak, right? Because what we like to do is not what James is calling us to do. Hey, what's your own desire? It's in you. It's not out there. What we like to do with our desires, our sinful desires that are custom fit for us, we like to conceal them, not expose them. But here's where the fight starts. Scripture tells us, Romans 13, 12, it says, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Over and over, Scripture is going to use this imagery of light and dark. You want to conceal something, David says, when he concealed his sin, his bones wasted away. When you conceal that area where you're weak, you point out everybody else and where they're weak, but you conceal your own. You don't expose it. You don't bring it to the light. That's where you not only give in to your desire, that's where you feed it. Right? And so James is going to start, hey, hey! look inside yourself. What is your desire? How are you susceptible Confess that before God. Get a few other people in a community group that you trust and say, hey, I, I do have some things, and I've been concealing it for a long time, and that's not working. My bones are wasting away, and this lust is getting at me, and this greed, I can't fight it on my own. And this anger, it keeps boiling up, and I need, to, I need you to help me see, yeah, where am I weak?" And I need to expose that to the light because that's where the fight starts. And some of you may think, well, Tim, this all seems really extreme, really legalistic. And I would say to you, if you think that, you don't know what you're up against. Genesis 4 tells us clearly, sin is crouching at our door. Again, really specific imagery. Sin is crouching at your door because it's ready to pounce on you. That sinful desire that you're trying to conceal, that you're keeping close to you, just, I'll just keep it on a leash, I'll just pet it every once in a while, I'm not going to expose it to the light, I'm going to keep it in the dark, just keep it close, and like a little pet kitten that turns into a tiger and eats you later on in life, that's what you're doing. And you don't realize that sinful desire, that lust, that greed, that gossip, it's crouching at your door, ready to pounce on you. It's predator language in Genesis 4. And you're just holding on to it. It's not legalistic. James, God, I am trying to save you from what James is going to tell us. That sinful desire, that little pet kitten, it will eat you. The sin, when you give birth, when you give birth to that, it will lead to death when it's full grown. It will destroy you. So it's not legalistic. It's catching sin where most of us, we just let it slide all the way to death, and then we're like, okay, I guess I should talk about this with somebody. I guess we're on the verge of divorce. Maybe we should get counseling instead of day one. Say, hey, marriage is hard. We need help. Let's go to a marriage study and, and find help there. Let's go to a community group and get help there. In the desire stage, not the death stage. Right? So this is... God's grace to you, it's not legalism, to fight the desire at the beginning, right? To fight the desire at the beginning. That's what James is getting at, and then he does get to this progression, where it leads. That's our second point, death, and then the question we should ask, where will this lead? Look at verse 15. It says, then desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin, And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You know, as a preacher, uh, there's power in illustrations. And and maybe some of you hear illustrations and you think, well, like preachers like to do those because they're funny and they bring levity. And there's maybe a, a small percentage of that that's true. But really the power of illustrations is to show you, hey, this is like that, is to take truth that seems really big and out there in a a book, to take truth and bring it down to street level and bring it down to your relationship, your marriage, your finances, your emotions, and help you bring that truth into everyday life. This is what Jesus did so well. That's what parables were. They were illustrations, stories. He taught in them all the time because there's power in them. Here's the beauty of the book of James. James has built-in illustrations, so I don't have to come up with them, right? Do you see it? What's his illustration with sin and temptation? It's the life cycle. He starts out with conception. Then the conception, then there's birth. Then something's full grown. Someone's full grown. And James is giving you that illustration to bring this truth of temptation and sin and the cycle of it and compare it to something all of us know and have experienced, the cycle of life. He says, hey, sin and temptation, it's just like the cycle of life. There's temptation, there's desire, you give in to that, it's unaccounted for, you conceal it, it gives birth to sin, and then when sin is full grown, it grows up, and it always grows up. It never stays in that little pleasurable form where you can just pet it and keep it close to you. It always grows up, that kitten turns into a tiger, and he says, eventually it leads to death. And James is going to call us to see down the road of that sinful desire, down the road of that temptation, and ask the question, where will this lead? And again, here's the key, to ask that question before the death, not after. I've shared this before, but we started out in ministry. We started a church. We planted a church. I was the associate pastor and did the whole thing, like 20 people in a living room to what's now a 10-year-old church that still exists. And when we were doing that, we put elders in place and pastors in place, just like we did here for this church. And one of our first elders before the church officially launched committed adultery. And he was a guy, just like many of you who are following Jesus and and know there's a fight, but maybe just got casual in the fight and maybe just went out unequipped for the fight. And one night, he was susceptible custom-made for him, lust. He was susceptible to that sin, that desire, and he gave into it, and he failed. And I had the privilege of walking with this guy for the next couple years, working through this. By God's grace, they are still married today. They have three beautiful kids who all follow Jesus, amen. There's healing there. If that's you, if you've been in that spot, there's healing, there's restoration, there's forgiveness. I saw it with my own eyes. God can do that. Sin is not too big for the cross. And he healed that guy. healed his family. But listen, that doesn't mean there wasn't pain for years. It doesn't mean there wasn't death, like internally and and separation in their their marriage and with his kids and and things that had to be brought back to life because there, there was. And let me just tell you, there were so many coffees and so many lunches I had with him after the fact where he said to me, you know, I mean, I know God's brought forgiveness. I know He's brought healing. But if I could just go back, if I could just go back to that night, if I could have just seen, like, it was exciting then. I mean, that other woman, like, it was exciting then. It seemed like it was going to bring pleasure, it seemed like it was going to bring relief and peace. But if I could just go back and see beyond that five minutes and see to the next five years and see it's gonna lead to pain and destruction, and not just for me, but for everyone around me, if I could just go back. And God in His grace and James, and you're here today, you're here to ask this question where does it lead? Before, not after. Where is this gonna lead? Where is this? This financial decision, this shady business deal temporarily, like the road is going to lead to satisfaction and fulfillment, but that's, that's a few minutes, maybe a few months. What about the next five years? Where is this going to lead? And the key to fighting temptation is to ask That question, to see the life cycle of temptation, to see down the road where it leads, to see from that story I just shared, from somebody else's example, to see how it ends for them and to say, okay, for my marriage, I don't want it to end that way for me, so I'm going to put some guardrails up in my life for my lust, so I'm going to get covenant eyes on my devices and not let that sinful desire grow I'm going to put guardrails at the gym at my office. I'm going to switch cubes. I'm going to switch gyms, not because of legalism, but because of the grace of God. Because I don't want to go where that road leads. And I don't want to take other people with me where that road leads. And I want to ask at the onset, not after, where it leads. And act accordingly. And James is calling us to that. We see the same cycle in Proverbs 5, in the same path in Proverbs 5. It talks about the adulterous woman. And don't get hung up on that. It's not a literal woman. It's the idea of something that tempts you, that lures you in, that seems sweet. It says it, Proverbs 5, For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down. To death, Her steps lead straight to the grave. Verse 8 and 9 of Proverbs 5, it says this, you lose your honor and dignity there. Verse 11, at the end of your life, you will groan. Verse 14, it puts you at the brink of utter ruin. You see, so many people with sin and temptation, they never ask where it leads. They never see down the road. And that's where death, destruction happens. And so we have to look at Proverbs 5, look at James, and ask first, before we give in to the desire, where will this lead? And do I want to go there? And will it be worth it? Do you ask that when you face temptation, when you face the lust, the gossip, the greed, the anger? Do you ask, where will this lead? That's a tool you need in your tool belt. That's what you're up against. You need to ask that question. Last point, deception. Deception. Question, what lie am I believing? Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Notice, he says there's deception in regard to sin. It doesn't come at you directly. It's deceptive. There's a lie that we all believe when we give in to sin. Now, before we look at verse 17, I read this and I thought, Okay, what's the biggest deception in regard to sin? What would you think it would be? Hey, it's some of what we talked about. Hey, that sin's not gonna satisfy you. Hey, it looks pretty, but it's, it's not. Hey, the grass may be greener on the other side like in your mind, but it's actually not. There's the deception. That's where I thought James was going, but look at where he goes, verse 17. Here's this great deception. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from Above. Anytime you see something repeated in Scripture, it's important. It's meant there for a reason. Every good gift, every perfect gift, it's from above. Know that. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James says, hey, here's the greatest deception. Here's the lie that launches a million sins. It's you don't trust the character of God. You don't trust the Father of lights, the one, created, one who created the sun, the moon, the stars. He's the Father of lights. He's your Father. He's the Father of all creation. You don't trust the Father of lights. You don't trust that he will give you every good gift, every perfect gift you don't trust that there is no variation or shadow due to change in him. You see, I see this all the time and I'm sure you see it all the time. Many of us, we don't trust the character of God as father. And usually that's related to our own father and his lack. And we think God is father, so he must be like my father whether he was there or not, whether he was a good father or not, whether he hurt you or not, Even if he was just slightly imperfect, you start to relate father to father and you start to think, well, if God's a father, maybe he's like my earthly father and I can't trust him. And so if he says, hey, sex is supposed to work this way, mm, maybe he doesn't know what's best for me. Maybe every good gift and every perfect gift doesn't come from him. Maybe he's going to change his mind. And so I got to go out of marriage and get sex my way. If he says, hey, success works this way. You, You follow God. You work honestly at work. You're trustworthy, but he, I don't know if he's a good father giving every good and perfect gift. I, maybe he changed his mind, and maybe just things work differently in 2020, and i got to go outside. i got to be shady. i got to put other people down in order to get ahead, and all of these sins start with the lie that your father is not who he said he is. Right? I saw this just recently on a baking show on Netflix. I was watching with my daughter. And we're watching the show and there's this lady on there and she's cooking and she's having a hard time. And they go to her and she's one of the people they're focusing on. They go to her the testimonial time where she's reflecting on everything and she's talking about like the pans are everywhere, the sugar's everywhere, she's having a hard time and she's just like, yeah, I just started thinking about my dad. And I'm watching this baking show with my daughter to kind of like relax. (laughs) And they're getting a daddy issues. Right? It's a baking show on Netflix. And she's talking about it. She, she literally, she said this. She said, you know, I just know, like, I want to win this to make my dad proud. And, you know, my dad, he didn't tell me a lot that he was proud of me. He didn't tell me a lot that he loved me. But I just knew sometimes, listen, sometimes he would give me a half smile. And then I would know that he approved of me and loved me and was happy with me. It's a baking show. And I am starting to cry. I'm just like, Gosh. What is this salty residue in my eyes? (laughs) And she's just like, if he could just give me a half smile, then I would know, like, I'm okay. And maybe if I win this, he'll give me a half smile. And then what was horrible is she goes up to the judges and the lady is like, you were a disaster. I mean, your pants were everywhere. And I thought she was going to be like, you were a disaster. But baby girl, you pushed through and like, you did it. And then she was going to be smiling And she was just like, no, you were a disaster, and your dessert was a disaster. I'm just like, come on, right? And you just see this on a cooking show. Like if I just had a father who would give me every good and perfect gift, if I just had a father who, who showed no variation or shifting shadow, who wanted what's best for me, who I could trust. And James is telling her, but all of you, no matter your father's situation, you got that. And it may not be in your earthly father, but it's in your heavenly father. In every area of life that you are tempted to have sinful desires and go outside of his will to get your own way. When you doubt that he has what's best for you, you need to be reminded, hey, God is a good father. He gives every perfect gift, every good gift. And some of you, you are beaten up by temptation and it's rooted in lies. And you've never asked the question what lie am I believing? Is it that God's withholding things from me in my sexuality, financially, emotionally, relationally? Is that the lie you're believing? Have you ever asked that? And then turn to the truth that James is reminding you of. He's not. He's not withholding from you. In fact, every good gift, every perfect gift comes from him. Some of you are, are being beaten up by the, the lie and temptation that I can never change. You said that? You felt that? You said that about other people? Hey, he'll never change. I mean, that, he's had the bottle next to him For years, he'll never change. I mean, she just gossips all the time. She'll never change. I mean, I just can't stop being greedy. I'll never change. Lie, lie, lie. James is going to remind you of truth. Who is the one, the only one who never changes? God. He has no variation. He doesn't change. Amen? He has no shifting shadow. James is reminding you of the truth to combat the lie that you believe. Hey, God's the only one who doesn't change because he's perfect. You changed. That's the whole point of Christianity. That's the whole point of giving your sin to Christ. That's the whole point of exposing it and bringing it to light is that God changes you. And some of you are just beaten up by the lie in the midst of temptation like, God's withholding from me, I'll never change. And James is pointing you back to truth to say, that's a lie. God's the only one who never changes. The unchanging God changes you. God's not withholding from you. God's giving you every good and perfect gift. Trust is character. And so today, all of us, we have different sins, different desires that are custom built for you. You need to ask, what is that? Where am I weak? You need to ask not just where am I weak and and expose that and start to confess that and find a few other people that you trust and do that with them. But then you need to ask, hey, where does it lead? Because in the moment, by yourself, under trial, when you are tired from work, when you are sick, when you just had an argument with your spouse, when the finances are low, in the moment things will seem enticing, they will lure you and you need to see down the road and ask, hey, where's this gonna lead? Not just in five minutes, but in five years. And then lastly, What lie am I believing as I give in to sin and temptation? You are in a fight, every one of you. Don't leave this place. The greatest lie today that you could believe is like, Tim, this is just church. This will be over soon. Let's just sing some songs. Let's just go to lunch. He'll stop yelling soon enough. And the greatest lie you could believe today is, I'm the exception. I'm not a part of this. When he's tempted, yeah. It's it for me. (laughs) Let's just go. This is too uncomfortable. That's the greatest lie you could believe. And some of you today, you need to acknowledge, hey, I am tempted. Where am I weak? Where is it leading? What lie am I believing? And start that process now so you can win in the fight of temptation, not get knocked out. So on Tuesday, you know what you're up against, and you can fight by the Spirit of God, with His power, a faith that works in your life. And so you can overcome temptation and not give in to it, and it doesn't have to lead to death. Today, God's grace to you is to believe the truth that you're here to hear this sermon, to fight well by the power of Christ, and to overcome temptation, and trust Jesus, and follow him. Let's pray for that together. Father in heaven, I thank you that you are a good father. I thank you that you have no variation or change. And, and God, I pray that if anything today, people would hear that, that they would know that you are their father if they put your trust in Jesus and they can trust you and they can follow your plan for their life and they don't have to go outside of it. And God, we, we live in a culture where everything in our flesh, everything within us, everything with Satan Everything in our culture tells us we need to go outside of God's path. And there's more joy there and there's more pleasure there. And we are confronted with those lies every single day of the week. And as a pastor, God, I just my prayer is that we get one hour a week in this room to, to combat those lies with truth. And so, God, I pray that you would use this time of truth, that you would use your spirit in a powerful way. To combat the lies that every one of us believes and help us to fight temptation by your power and your truth. And God, may we have some stories in this room where we just start to fight. We just, we don't just, it's not just an hour on a Sunday. We, this is a launching pad to fight the rest of the week. And God, may we have people who join together in community groups worship and prayer and fasting and this Wednesday night coming together and 7 p.m. in this room, may we have people in this room who, who join together in this fight, who pray for others in this fight so we can see victory in this fight. Jesus, you have already won the victory through the cross and the resurrection, and so help us to walk in that and help us to do that together. God, we, we proclaim this as we pray this In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen.